Welcome to this episode of Wellness U. I'm Todd Studer, and in studio today, Julie Wiesman from My Nurse Healthcare. Julie, thank you so much for coming in today. And also, when you bring in guests, you really bring in guests. Well, I'm super excited. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> so we're bringing in somebody today who's got a different perspective on one of my passions with raising Alzheimer's awareness and ending Alzheimer's. And first, let me let me back up. Hello, everyone. Thank you for choosing us today to listen to. And you know me that as part of a collective team here at Wellness U, that I am not always bringing your typical nursing topics. I kind of like to step out of the box and bring awareness to, to some very important things that selfishly I think are important that we really need to be thinking about. And sometimes we don't dedicate the brain space to such as mental health, suicide awareness, and Alzheimer's awareness. And today we have a small-town Iowa boy who has made his mission after losing his mom at a very young age to early-onset Alzheimer's to just raising funds. He's raised over, what, $50 million last time I could see? Well, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was that. I had a rough estimate, and yeah. then I announced it on The Voice, but before they aired it, they call and say we have to do a fact check to make oh. sure that that actually happened. And I was like, oh, shoot, I hope I hope that's right. And then my attorney called me and said, you've helped raise double that. Oh, so fantastic. You've helped raise $100 million. Fantastic. $100 million. It's amazing. So we have Mr. Jay Allen here. He is a country music singer with many great songs out there. Two albums? Working on the third? Working on a little EP. Yep, mm-hmm. just signed a record deal, so they put me to work. That's awesome. And he's had a very exciting career thus far, and I really can't wait to see where he takes it. And he's made it his personal war to help end Alzheimer's. So, you know, thanks for being here today. I know your schedule is nuts, and I know you and you have Hunter here today. You guys had a great show last night. Allie and Mike were there and said it was fantastic. And I appreciate you being here and spending the time with us to help bring awareness and talk about, you know, loved ones that you have had for, you know, who have suffered from this disease. So, you know, I think I think most of these listeners know that your mom suffered from early onset Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. What I'm really curious about is what were some of the first signs that you and Pop and your sisters saw? Yeah, so I started with a phone call. You know, I've been in Nashville for 10 years as of June 13th, actually. So wow. I was a couple years in, and, uh, you know, I ran away from home. You know, look, you know, now Iowa is home. You mm-hmm. know, I know that this place, you know, built me. Maybe How old were you? I left when I was 20 years old, so. Your baby. Yeah. You know, broke my mama's heart, mm-hmm. you know. So I'd been in Nashville a couple of years when I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but mom called me this morning. She'd been going to the same place of work for years. And she had pulled over on the side of the road and she was crying her eyes out and said, I don't know where I am or where I'm going. Please come pick me up. And I was like, that doesn't sound good. And so she was officially diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's when she was 51. And did they, did they think that it was something like, you know, I'm sure that were there misdiagnoses before, like, they actually came to that diagnosis? Because, like, when you tell me somebody is on the side of the road and they're confused when they're 51 years old, was, yeah. was she 51? So when you tell me that they're confused, my first thing is urinary tract infection. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like what is going to temporarily confuse someone? And were so were there any misdiagnoses before that before No, unfortunately there was ignorance. You, sure. They sure. it had been going on for a while, but I wasn't there so I didn't know that. Well, and when Pops is like front and center, 
some of those things are like, yeah, hey, we're 50 now. You know, shit's getting real. We're getting old. Yeah, you know, it, it, he just equated it to, oh, we're getting old. You know, we're mm-hmm. slipping. You know, and that, for me, that's BS. You know, 51 is not old. Well. How is that old? It, it sometimes feels old, but you're just such a baby still, so. Are you dating yourself now? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you don't look it. Well, thank you. So, you know, what, you know, hindsight, what were some of the things that Pops may have seen? Yeah, so, you know, you know, talked about, you know, even like playing board games, she would get, you know, ticked off and quit, you know, and stomp away. She wouldn't have answers to things, you know, and she had no short-term memory at all, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, looking back now, I just wish I would, you know, I wish, wish they would have communicated that to me, but... After we found out she was diagnosed, we educated ourselves as fast as possible, and we still are. But I wish I would have been educated beforehand and listened to podcasts like this, you know? So you're doing a good thing. Well, thank you. I hope so. And we don't, you know, there there have been some really good movies. Still Alice. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Oh, man. Need to. Early onset Alzheimer's. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. The redhead, beautiful redhead, came out, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or so. Okay. Fantastic description of, you know, and it's based on a, on a true story. So, okay. yeah. I'll check it out. But, I mean, yeah. So there's just not enough that talks about early onset in and of itself. So mm-hmm. now, when she was diagnosed at 51, is there any any timeline on how how much earlier than that she had been showing symptoms? I think, you know, having the conversations that we've had, you know, her 40s, you know, mid to late 40s, you know. Yeah, and that that looks to be pretty typical of mm-hmm. when early onset starts. I've heard cases now of 36, you know, my age, yeah. which is unreal. It's terrible. I, I feel like I'm barely an adult. Yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> so. for sure. And so how and how much younger are your sisters than you? I have a, th- a 31-year-old sister and a 33-year-old sister, yeah. So all of you guys are still pretty, pretty young. And how did everybody, I mean, when when she really started to decline, what was the plan? Like, was she at home? Did she have to go anywhere? Again, not being prepared, you know, being ignorant. She apparently had asked my dad very early on, please don't ever put me in a care facility center. You know, mm-hmm. that was her request. So when we had to do that, it was, it, I had to make the decision. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there was no financial plan. There was no savings. You know, I came from a place of we didn't have a lot growing up, like a lot of us. And I'm the one that had to step up, you know, and figure out how to create that income to send it back home to dad. For so sure. So it started with, well, I'm just going to take some time off of work. And then it was uh, her brother, my uncle, had to move from Austin, mm-hmm. retire early to come take care of her full time, live in the house. And then that was too much. For him, and so then we had to hire an in-home nurse, mm-hmm. and then we had two in-home nurses, and then we're like, okay, sisters coming every day, and you know, I was like, we we're to a point where we have we have to, you know. You know, in my business, that's exactly what we do: is we go in and we help people stay home safely as long as possible that they can, and so we come into this scenario that you're describing every day, and I always say the hardest job ever on this planet is being a caregiver to a loved one oh my goodness it's really my heartbeat even more of a passion now than you know helping raise funds you know for research shine a light on caregivers because y'all are so just uniquely built you know behind the scenes grinding doing things that for me like I watched my little sister my baby sister I remember the day she was born and suddenly she was having to do things and see things that a daughter should never have to do and see yeah you know and the same thing with my dad you know I just, I mean, I never had to do it, you know. I never had to shower my mother, 
it's, a, it's such a sad thing, you know. And you're, you know, I'm glad you say that because I think a lot of people, I take it for granted, but I've been a nurse for 25 years, that, you know, I'm seeing someone at their most vulnerable state mm-hmm. going to the bathroom, showering them, and, you know, our goal is to maintain as much dignity as we can, even though, you know, they, you know, these folks have no short-term memory, but they remember what it's like to feel like a woman, mm-hmm. a mom, an independent person, and we want to maintain as much dignity as we can. But, you know, I don't think about things like that. Like, I wouldn't think twice about showering my parents or, you know, taking care of them in that way. But Because well, you're wired differently. I know. You know, I, know. That, yeah, I, I mean, I talk a lot about caregivers, you know, because you are uh, uh, filling such an important role. Well. A really, really tough position. You know, you know it feels so easy to me, though. <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, I can never do what you do. Because you got some angel wings back there hidden well, under that shit. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And you know, we do go into it because that is what we ultimately, viscerally want to do is care for people. So, I lost my dad when he was young as well. So I was Sorry. in my 30s, just like you were, and it's it's really tough. Tell me something outside of your wedding. <laughs> That you wish mom was here for? Oh, well, the wedding was a big one. The wedding was a big one. I think just the little moments, I just wish I could, you know, call her. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a way that a mother, I think, looks at a child. Miss that. Well, and you're the oldest. I am the oldest. I'm the oldest, too. Yeah. And we're kind of the... My dad was in the service, so he would do unaccompanied tours to Germany and Korea, and my mom and us four kids were back here, so I was kind of like a parent. Hmm. So... I was always the leader, taking charge. You know what that's like. And then tell me a little bit about how you maybe had to help your little sisters around and yeah. navigate things. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, growing up, mom and dad, they ran a restaurant, you know, so they were gone, you know, 15, 16 hours a day sometimes. That was in Waterloo, right? Waterloo, Iowa, Joe's Country Grill. Man. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. His name was Joe. Such a unique name. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, so we come home from school when we were kids, you know, and I watched my little sisters, took care of them, made them dinner, you know, sometimes put them to bed before mom and dad got home, you know. So I've always kind of been that role for them. So when we're going through the, you know, the experience of losing a mother, it kind of felt like natural for me, like you are as a caregiver. So lots of really, really terrible, sad conversations mm-hmm. late, late at night with these two little girls. You know, and I want to I wanna make mention of your mom's name because I think that's very important. Your mom's name is Sherry Rich. Yeah. So, and, and we call him Pops because that's what he told me to call him when I met him. <laughs> but his name is Joe. So I just want to make mention of Sherry and Joe. Oh, and, thank you. And, yeah, because, you know, I see, you know, I did my research – so backing up, I learned about you from Allie. Allie texted me and said, watch this guy on The Voice. And she told me about her connection to you. And so we kind of had a little cult following of you on The Voice while you were <laughs> while you were on, you know, and we'd all be texting each other, watching it and everything. So, that's you know, funny. that's how I became introduced to you. But, you know, I think you're doing it right. You're, you are giving your, you and Hunter are here this morning and you guys are donating your time to me to talk about this. And you don't have to. Well, it's not about an obligation. You know, it's a, it's a blessing that I get to tell the story of losing my mother and turn it into something beautiful. So I align with someone like you. I will always go out of my way to have conversations like this. I've seen beautiful things come from conversations like this. So it is a, a privilege to be here with you. Well, I appreciate you very, very much. But that is what's going to give you, like, you have officially gotten my 
ride or die fan following now. <laughs> As I, Allie's back there, yeah, Allie's back there raising the roof. But, you know, because you're doing these small things and trying to, you know, use your art and your gift and your talents to kind of show awareness and see however we can bring and end this terrible disease. But I love it that you're, I mean, you're just doing it right because people are going to organically through the law of attraction, want to follow you and support you through whatever, you know, and I mean, we've got, like I said, a little cult following back here in Southwest Iowa for you. Iowa, let's go. Yes. And we're (laughs) super excited for August 19th to come around too. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a show. Let's go. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but so let's talk about, and I hate to keep asking you about things about other what other people are thinking but being the oldest and being kind of the MC of your family tell me how your sisters and your dad through your perception are doing today our family's never been closer i think now we understand the importance of family my dad and i were not very close growing up we actually had a disconnect for a couple of years where i didn't speak to him for some very personal reasons but when mom got sick you know i remember i just humbled myself and I called him and I said, here's the deal. If you make a promise to me right now, you take care of her till the very end and love her with all your heart. You and I are good. You can't do anything wrong. And he did that. So him and I are good. Now, do you feel hindsight? Do you feel any guilt to not being super close back then? Like now, now you guys are close and strong, not just you and your dad, but everybody is a collective family. You know, do you feel any guilt? Like, what the hell was I thinking? Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we say this? Why didn't we, why didn't we? Do you feel any guilt like I used shoulda, to, woulda, coulda? Yeah, I, I used to think like that and feel yeah. those feelings. But now, you know, just life goes the way it goes, you know, and you just move on and grow from it and learn from it, you know. So now I give my all. I wrote a song called No Present Like the Time. You've heard the phrase. Love it. No Time Like the Present. When I was on The Voice, I had two months of sobriety and loneliness and that actually was a time of healing for me and learning about myself and deciding, you know, how about take that experience of loss? What positive things do we take out of that? So, you know, I said this on stage last night, you know, we only get one spin. We only get one go around this rock. So, you know, if you, your brother, or your sister, or your mom, or your dad calls at the end of the day, you're stuck in traffic. The last thing you want to do is hear their crap. You know, how about you just pick it up? Mm-hmm. You know, how about your best friend stabs you in the back? How about you just let it go? Mm-hmm. If someone invites you to come on their podcast at nine o'clock in the morning, you just show up. <laughs> After a late you night know. show. <laughs> you no, know, so now I just, you know, I've just decided to live like that. You know, always try to say yes. You know, put a smile on your face, glass half full, always. Oh, yeah. And not, try not to live in the past. It's it's easy to say, hard to do. But. We put on a, Miner's Healthcare puts on a women's empowerment conference in October every year, and we call it Refill My Cup. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a fundraiser for our multi-generational day program. Okay. We're saving for a building, so. And so we have a speaker. We have seven speakers, and Miss Allie Boner is going to be one of our speakers. Oh, Allie. Year. Yes. Yes. So I love that you're able to use, you know, your presence and your art as a way to kind of vilify this disease and, and raise money. What is something else I, I know what are what other things are you doing to help raise awareness besides money? Well, awareness in itself, having conversations like this. I actually have a concept, you know, because 
we're struggling right now, non for profits, you know. So I've been a partner with the National Alzheimer's Association for several years now. And we actually have this concept now to do a tour where we partner with them. And every single, you know, most regions have a chapter. So we're going to utilize those chapters and we're going to put on a tour where we come through and they paint the venue purple. They basically are a street team and they market it. And they pack out these theaters and we come through and every, you know, I'm going to tie it in with a radio tour as well because I have a radio team now, which is weird to say. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. you know, every time I come through a city that morning, I'm going to get on at the radio station. They're going to, you know, pimp out my single, but then I'm, we're going to have conversations like this and I get to talk about the Alzheimer's Association. You'd be surprised at how many people don't even know what that is or that it exists, you know? So I'm trying to create a way where I can just get it out there, you know, yeah. get, get on microphones, get on stages. And we put on a fun show, you know, five guys, tattoos, guitars, play for two hours, you know, it's rock and roll meets country radio pretty much. Yeah. And then at the end of the show, I always take everyone to church. Yeah. We talk about this, so... You know, it's, I think it's just uh, no one knows unless you tell them. You For know? sure. So put me on a mic. <laughs> if we're not talking about it, people aren't thinking about it. There are so many things out in, in the ether now that people are dedicating their brain space to, and sometimes it's not the important thing. Sometimes it's flipping through TikToks. And even you got to like show them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, even my own wife at points has kind of drove me crazy because she's challenged me and said, you know, when are you going to be past this and I you know I looked her in the eye and I said never ask me that question again because I'm never going to be past it I will always stand for this cause and always talk about it you know so I think there's a sense of you have to be brave and stubborn you know and also you can talk as much as you want till you're blue in the face but for me that was why I brought my mother on a stage when she was sick because when you show people what this is then they truly understand it I saw a picture of you when I was doing research for this to prepare you know there was a picture of you and you had your Iowa cap on backwards <laughs> yeah. and you were hugging Sherry and I was like oh that is just the best picture I mean it encompasses us here small town Iowa and you know just loving someone who suffered from this disease and that was one of my but my other favorite picture was a picture of her holding you when she was I mean it was like you were maybe one or two mm-hmm. but she just looked so good and healthy and and I think those are the things that we need to remember and show too but I think you know it's been viral when when did when did you write blank stairs i wrote it shortly after i had a visit from my parents i had, like i said i hadn't seen them for a couple of years dad we got another phone call he said i feel like it's my obligation as your pops to make sure you get time with your mother before it progresses any farther which it had very quickly for us 6 months in she already looked 10 years older so they made that drive from small town iowa to nashville and it was a a moment in time that has changed my entire perspective on life where, you know, people that have dementia, most of them have a glossy look in their eyes. They're not present. But we took her to a a bar where there was live music. And I remember I opened up the door and she walked in and she saw the band, heard the music. And immediately that look went away and she was with us. And something about the power of music, you know, so we, like you, have always been, you know, the fixer in our family because we're the oldest and we have to. And pulled her to the front of the venue right from the stage and we started slow dancing to a fast song and that's when she took a breath and she was there with me and she said oh my gosh jay i miss you i love you son and that was a very defining moment for me and that's when i had the idea to write this song what a gift that that is really truly because can you imagine if you you know living living remotely from them can you imagine if you didn't have that moments and you saw her right before she died 
Yeah. And that was the last thing you really got to see. I mean, that you, you've been given the gift of time in that instant. Yeah. Again, why me and my pops are good. Yeah. He gave me that moment. You mm. know, it's a long drive. Hunter's about ready to do it here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about the voice. I'm morbidly curious about like the audition process. Where did you audition? Yeah, so The Voice is interesting. They're a storyline-focused show. You know, it's all about intriguing the audience that's viewing, the viewers. So you got to give them some sort of drama, something that makes them intrigued to view. So now that I'm out of contract and off the show, I can tell you all the nitty-gritty behind-the-scenes things. So they called me every year the last five years and asked me to be on the show. There's a casting agency involved at LA, and every year I'd just kindly decline. I always thought reality TV, the concept was silly. I never thought it was for me until they called me this last year. And I thought, you know what? I was pretty tired and beat up. And I feel like I've been grinding for so long, taking this fight as far as I can organically on my own. Really didn't have a team at the time either. And no one helped me but me. And I thought, what better way to put more eyes and ears on this than to go on the voice? And so I said, yes. I said, I need to talk to producers. And they patched me through. And I said, I will do this and give my all. I even told them how far I wanted to go in the show. I said, I, I will give my all if you let me tell this story and let me sing this song I wrote for my mom. They said, yeah. And they told it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. You know, so I didn't have to stand in a line if that's what you're asking. No, that's good. I they, mean, that's... They just flew me out there and I was on the show. You know? So time frame wise, when did they first, what year? Like uh, That was last June, so a year ago. And then yeah. when were you, when did you start filming? It was last, or last May, actually, yeah. So Started quick. Filming, yeah. So quick, okay. And they had taken, a, the first time they had taken a season off of The Voice, so it was like a refresh, mm -hmm. you know, so. Coming out of COVID and everything? Yeah, they took a season off for a, a lot of different reasons. I think there's money reasons, too. Mm -hmm. but yeah. So. Very cool. And so how long was your commitment for filming? I mean, I know it goes on, but how long you're on the show, but like how long did you have to be... You and we talked a little bit before we before. Well, we you sign a contract because they engage you in you know psych testing and uh, really, yeah, it's, it was pretty intense, you know. And even after they told me I was on the show that I still had to do like audition tapes and just like it's part of the process. So it was like November to whenever they aired it, September. So it was a long haul. Yeah. Yeah, but at the actual filming part was the easiest part. That was only like two and a half months. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Let's see. What else? All right. I got a couple rapid fire questions for oh, you. I hate these. No, I, I didn't. I didn't do any stump the chump. I promise. Okay. All right. Favorite job you've ever held? This one. Okay. What's an insult you've received that you're kind of proud of? You Are you Adam Levine? Mm -mm. Really? I they said that? Blank stare. Oh. Once I, so right after the voice. I mean, you're handsome, so he's handsome, so maybe that's that's a compliment. That's why, yeah, I'm like, if you're going to tell me I look like anyone, I'll take that. Yeah. I remember right after the voice, I I was I got it all the time. Are you are you Adam Levine? So I was walking through the L.A. or Las Vegas airport, and this older couple, I think the older you get, the more you don't care. Yeah. So they knew that I could hear them. Like, oh, that, that's not Adam Levine. That's just the guy that was on The Voice. I'm like, I'm right here in front of you. Like, Do you say that? You should just say it. I can I just, hear you. I just looked at him and laughed. It was funny. It was cute. <laughs> what do people misunderstand about you? I've gone out of my way to make sure that people don't think that, you know, the younger guy walking in covered in tattoos isn't an a-hole, mm -hmm. you know, because I'd I like to think I'm the farthest from that. You know, people don't know that until I, you know, share my heart with people. So, Very good. What's a pet peeve? 
Uh, my wife leaves cups everywhere, glasses. <laughs> it's the most annoying thing. I feel like I spend a good majority of my time in Nashville just picking up her cups. That's awesome. Yeah, it's not that awesome. Oh, Kylie. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Introvert, extrovert. I'm a little bit of both. You know, when I'm on, I'm on. When I'm off, I shut off. Just want to be off. Yeah, that's very rare these days. So I try to make the most out of it. On the plane? Oh, I love planes. It's quiet. Put the buds in. People leave you alone for the most part. If you put the earbuds in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the magic thing. All right, last one. Favorite holiday movie? I don't know if I have one. Maybe The Grinch Stole Christmas? Oh, there you go. I I don't know. My sisters love that. They made me watch it like a hundred times. Yeah. I always love like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's a good one. There's a lot of one-liners out of that. So, all right. So, you're headed back to Nashville. Tell everybody what you're doing tomorrow. Yeah, we're playing the Hard Rock for CMA Fest. Very so, good. Yeah, the last time I played CMA Fest was right before everything went down with the pandemic. And so Mama had passed away, and it was a really healing moment. We played right in front of the arena, and 3,000 people showed up to support us. So it's always a good turnout. You know, people come from all over the country for CMA Fest. It's wild. Kylie just played the Riverfront stage yesterday, and a couple thousand people showed up. It's awesome. It's awesome. amazing. And so you're touring around right now, and where's the best place for people to go to find out where you're going to be? So jallenofficial.com, I have all the tour dates up, you know, and they keep coming. And you do a great job on keeping up with your social media. I'm sure you have some help with that too, but people following your social media can get a real good glimpse on you and Kylie's life and following Kylie too. She's hilarious. She's got some funny stuff up there. Yeah, you know, I've learned to be really personable, you know, because that's how you connect with people. It is. So, And now, you know, we're trying to... the. The label, is, you know, wants to rip off the Band-Aid and show the fun side, you know, because I am that guy. Mm-hmm. If you're around me, I want to make sure you're having a good time. Hunter knows sometimes we have too good of a time. <laughs> so we're actually just going to start releasing really fun music. So it's going to be a, a hard transition, I'm feeling, but uh, we're releasing a song called Jello Shot. The label literally said, what's the most fun song that you've ever written? I'm like, oh, here, here you go. Like, I thought they were going to laugh at me. And they're like, they loved it. Yeah. So we shot a music video for it. I literally, we did the promo artwork for it, and it's my manager put me in a kiddie pool, filled it with 500 jello shots. It was the funny, funniest thing I've ever done. It's a great picture. I saw it. I got to tell you, my favorite song is Sounds Good to Me. Oh. And I can listen to it yeah. on repeat. My husband is like, what in the holy hell? I <laughs> listen to this again. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, I think it's good. I think it's, you, I would want to know what songs people like, you know, outside of what, like, billboard charts and stuff like that. But that's just a song that speaks to me, and I, I really like it. Of course, I like Blank Stairs, too. I love that. We, yeah. had a, we had a lady show up last night, and she was holding up a sign to me. It said, like, 298 days sober. Yeah. And I leaned in. I was like, I'm really proud of you. That's awesome. I'm not going to be sober tonight, but I'm cheering you on. Yep. And uh, she goes, will you please play Whiskey Prayer, you know? Ah. Like I go back to, I don't really care how many people hear my songs. I care that the right people. And she needed that song. So I literally stared at her and sang the song to her last night. So it's crazy how different songs affect different people. It Absolutely. Power of music. Yeah. Power of music. So I su- I really thank you for being here today and stopping oh. in on your way out to other things. I know you guys are busy. So What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And one more thing I did want to point out was... Allie Boner's here with me and Jay Allen, and Allie has been very significant in putting together this festival, August 19th. Yes. 
And tell us a little bit about where and when and where's ticket sales right now. It truly is turning into a festival. It'll be on August 19th. It's titled War for You with Jay Allen and Friends, Fighting Alzheimer's and Suicide. And we're starting the day at 9 a.m. with a poker run for all those motorcyclists to come out and join us and just kind of tour around our little Lois Hills there. And then we're going to start at 2 o'clock with some music we have four performers. There'll be Stephen Teft, a coffee shop artist that's local. Then we have the Rock and Roll Cowboys from, they're also local. And then we have Austin Montgomery coming from California. He was on The Voice with Jay. And then our big act will be Jay Allen. We're also going to have carriage rides, craft fair, bake sale. I mean, gosh, there's food trucks. It's going to be an incredible day. And it's all focused on raising money for our community who's working with people or suffering from mental illnesses or, or caregiving or helping people with Alzheimer's and, and suicide. And so tickets are very affordable. Tell everybody how much tickets are. Yeah, tickets are $45 per ticket, and that's for the entire day. We have other for, it's $25 for the poker run, but it's just... It's going to be an amazing day for $45. Where can you go and have all of that activity? And also we have a lot of vendors. Hopefully we'll have some mental health therapists there too. Absolutely. We've been talking to some of those and hopefully have some counselors, some pastors, and anyone who wants to come help us and volunteer. We're going to take over this tiny town with a big heart in Mineola, and we're expecting 500 to 1,000 people. So we're we're hoping to really shine a light on these two issues with Alzheimer's and suicide and try to help our community. So that's what's so fascinating about this. And, you know, I've talked to you before about my personal story and the healing and just getting out there. And I heard Jay last night at his concert, one of the things he said, you know, we're meant to tell our stories. Let me tell you mine. And that struck a chord with me last night. And that's what this whole day is about. Let's tell our stories. We will have speakers there also bring awareness and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And no one's alone here. So absolutely. All right. Thank you, Allie. Thank you.